Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. All Hit X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host. I am your guide as together we'll cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. The Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and Simul TV. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. Now, if you'd like to find out about the programming on the Exxon Broadcast Network radio site, it's www.xzbn.net. 24-7-365 programming with our compliments. And if you want to find out about the Exxon TV channel that is exclusive 
to um, Simul TV, where you can watch the Exxon TV show as well as other great shows such as In Search of, www.simultv.com, and in the search engine, just type in Exxon. Exxon Nation, my guest tonight is uh, Carol Rubin. She is a certified than a thanatologist and a doyen of death. She is a pioneering death educator who uses humor, funny films, and outside-the-box activities to teach about end-of-life topics. An award-winning speaker, she knocked them dead at the TEDxABQ with her talk, A Good Goodbye. Joining us now is Gail Rubin. And Gail, welcome to the X-Zone. Great to be with you. I have to ask you, what's a thanatologist? Thanatology is the study of death, dying, and bereavement, and we we get that term from the Greek demigod Thanatos, mm-hmm. which uh, fans of the Marvel Universe may recognize a certain uh, character has a very similar name, uh, and Thanatos uh, has a twin brother who is Hypnos, which is sleep. And um, uh, Thanatos represents a good death. So sleep and a good death are very closely related. Where did your interest in death come from? I kind of accidentally, I was a uh, public relations professional and an event planner. Mm -hmm. And I got married for the second time, had a really creative Jewish Western wedding, and everybody had such a good time. I wanted to write a book about creative life cycle events and call it Matchings, Hatchings, and Dispatchings, about weddings and births and deaths. And I got to write a column, a monthly feature in our local newspaper, and it was the stories Mm -hmm. about death and funerals that got the most reader response. So it told me there's a real need to be able to talk about this topic, which a lot of people don't want to, because even though 100% of us will die eventually, less than 30% of adults do any end-of-life planning. So that leaves a lot of our loved ones, 70% or more to be exact, uh, stressed and scrambling and not knowing what to do. And uh, it, it can be better than that. Especially at a time in their lives when they're totally stressed out and grieving because of the loss of the person that that is kind of causing the extra grief because the person who is now dead did not do any planning. Exactly, exactly. So we make it easier on our loved ones. Mm-hmm. They can save money. They can have a meaningful, memorable good goodbye uh, to help send that loved one off. Um, so I did uh, approach my, my first book, uh, A Good Goodbye Funeral Planning for Those Who Don't Plan to Die, as an event planner for this party no one wants to plan. And that changed the course of my career. And I became certified in thanatology and a certified funeral celebrant and just an all-around blogger and funeral industry expert. Tell us about the funeral industry. Is there is there two sides of it? Are they the real nice people that we see in front, or is there a sinister and dark side but that we just don't get to see? <laughs> well, I think the Funeral Consumers Alliance would tell you that's the sinister and dark side. Um, I Most of the funeral directors that I know mm-hmm. are incredibly nice people who want to do good by the families that they serve. And 
because so few people plan ahead and then they have to make these very expensive decisions under duress of grief and feel like maybe they get led along to overspending, you know, part of that is a consumer issue. We as individual consumers who don't plan ahead um, can find ourselves then being, you know, upsold Mm -hmm. at a very sensitive time. That's why in the United States, the uh, Federal Trade Commission started the funeral rule, which basically was put in place to help consumers get the kind of information they need to make an informed decision, even at need is the term for after somebody's died. Uh, my my goal is to get more people to plan ahead. Uh, so that's called pre-need. Uh, because that's when you're thinking clearly, you can comparison shop, you can make decisions more with your head than with your heart. Uh, so uh, it's a very important step to take. And my motto is just like talking about sex won't make you pregnant, talking about funerals and end of life issues won't make you dead. And so far, so good. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, the funeral industry is a business. They are there to make money. And there have been a lot of changes in the funeral industry. Uh, there's been a lot of consolidation mm-hmm. going on since actually the 1990s. Um, you may rem- if you uh, watch the HBO TV series Six Feet Under, uh, there was a theme, at least in the first couple of seasons, that um, showed this gentleman from a giant funeral conglomeration that was buying up all the independent funeral homes. Uh, And that has gone on since the 1990s. I'm seeing now uh, in the the 2010 era to 2020, uh, there have been other consolidators that have grown up uh, that are buying up smaller funeral homes that were independently owned, but the owner you know, is getting ready to retire. So rather than close the funeral home, they sell to the consolidator. And and this is one reason why it's important to shop around because funeral homes charge different things. Mm-hmm. And most of the markets that have the corporately owned funeral homes tend to charge more than uh, the independently owned ones. But you don't know that unless you shop around before you have a dead body on your hands. What's the average cost of a funeral these days? Well, you know, it varies by market. Mm -hmm. Um, In some markets, you could get a um, direct cremation for under $1,000. But in other markets, maybe that direct cremation option is not as available, and it will cost you several thousand dollars. But a funeral involves multiple aspects. Not only is the funeral home involved and buying a casket and preparing the body, and you also have a cemetery involved. And and that's a very expensive, small piece of real estate. And depending on the market, just the burial plot could be anywhere from several thousand dollars to tens of thousands of dollars. And then it's not just the, the burial rights mm-hmm. in that location, but also they charge you to open and close the grave. 
and to put a liner or a vault inside the grave and a marker. And um, so there are all sorts of fees that add up. And you could be looking for a funeral at 10000 to $20,000. In your opinion, what is more popular these days, the traditional burial in the ground or cremation? Well, cremation has been the growing trend mm -hmm. uh, over the past couple of decades, and the funeral industry generally tried to ignore that, uh, hoping it would go away. But in fact, in 2016, the national cremation rate in the United States surpassed 50%. And there are some states in the Western states, and in Canada too, Canada has been above 50% um, for even longer. Um, and we'll mm -hmm. probably reach a 60% cremation rate by 2024. Yeah, so, I, you know, I, yeah. I, I look around at all these cemeteries that are out there, and I can't understand why people still want to be buried. It's taking a place, it's taking a broom. You know, now we're finding out that there could be a lot of toxicity and pollution being put into the ground because of the, the bodies that are, you know, you know that are decaying and the and the preparation fluids are causing oh. pollution now you and i have to take a break please stand by and we'll be back on the other side as we continue here in the exxon with yours truly rob mcconnell and my guest this hour gail rubin if you'd like more information about gail visit her website www.agoodgoodbye we'll be back on the other side of this break don't go away genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas. To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save.
Miguel Rubin is my guest this hour, Exonation, www.agoodgoodbye.com. And, Gail, before we went to the commercial break, I was saying, you know, that do we really, I basically wanted to say, do we still really have to bury people? Because, after all, they are passed on. Um, is this just a, a tradition that, that is being carried on? What is the what is the sense behind burying somebody compared to saying, all right, this person has passed. We're just going to start cremating people across the board. Well, one way to look at uh, cemeteries is that they are green spaces that are devoted to the dead. And there are many beautiful botanical garden cemeteries that mm-hmm. were started in the 1800s yeah. that continue to be uh, lovely places for people to walk. I know of a historic congressional cemetery in Washington, D.C., actually has a dog walking club that helps support maintaining the cemetery. So you could look at cemeteries as green spaces in perpetuity. There's also a whole class of cemeteries that are being started that are called green burial grounds that are devoted mm-hmm. to uh, keeping the open space. There just happen to be bodies buried right. in them. And, and you avoid embalming those bodies and burying them as naturally as possible. There is a new trend that is coming on the scene uh, called body uh, composting is basically what it is. It's uh, the idea of putting a body into a tank along with material that uh, that we would use for composting, like wood chips or sawdust or grass, uh, some moisture and the natural process of composting you end up with like two wheelbarrows full of rich natural soil that can actually be used in your own garden. And uh, that's mm. been legalized in the state of Washington. Colorado is looking at it. California is looking at it. So in the future, and this is even better for the environment than cremation, because cremation does have a large carbon footprint and Many baby boomers have mercury in the fillings in their mouths, and that vaporizes and goes out into the atmosphere. So cremation itself is not necessarily that eco-friendly. And one other point I'd like to make about cemeteries is uh, it is a permanent final resting place that gives the mourners a way to connect Mm -hmm. and stay connected with that loved one. Now, maybe that's not for everybody, obviously, with the cremation rate. Sure. Um, that's that's uh, one of, but mm-hmm. that's one of the meaningful things that we can do to mark someone's passing and mark that they were important people in our lives. You know, you know I, I can understand that if we're looking at a temporary time, let's say 20, 30, 40 years. But I've seen cemeteries where the markers go back to 1600s and 1700s. Mm-hmm. Like, why is it necessary to maintain these cemeteries when the land could be put to much better use? Well, you know, in Europe, they mm-hmm. actually do not uh, give you perpetual 
rights to have a burial plot. It's only good for about a generation. Oh, that's okay. And yeah. they, they clean the bones out and turn it over to somebody else. What do they do with the bones? Well, it depends on uh, the cemetery. I, I think they may wind up uh, having them ground up like what happens to the bones when it comes out of the cremation retort. And um, so they grind them up into a, a powder, into the cremated remains, and give it to the family. Okay. Hmm. So where do you see the death industry in the next 20 years? It's a brave new world. I, I think we're um, going to see a lot of people intrigued with this new... Um, not only do we have this idea of composting bodies... But there's a water-based uh, way to reduce the body down to the bones and then uh, return them to the family. That's called alkaline hydrolysis. It's also called aquamation, uh, where they put the body into a tank mm -hmm. and uh, water and some alkaline chemicals are put in. And it's uh, the temperature in the tank is raised. And the water is circulated, and this basically speeds up the process of decomposition. And you do wind up with the bones like you do with fire-based cremation, but in this case, it uses a tenth of the energy. There's no mercury emissions, mm -hmm. uh, and the water is actually very good fertilizer. In most cases, it goes down the drain like it does um, with other things from the funeral home. But... Um, uh, so that is a trend that is also rising because uh, 20 U.S. states and I forget how many Canadian provinces uh, do allow this use uh, for cremation, but by water instead of fire. So I think we'll see that. You know, you were talking a, a few minutes ago about, you know, when people get cremated, it's not very eco-friendly because not only of the carbon footprint, but because of the the mercury that may be in a person's uh, mouth in, the, in their fillings. I know for a fact that before a person who has an implant or a, um, a pacemaker is cremated, the pacemaker is removed. So why couldn't they just do the same thing with the fillings? With dental work, it's a little more complicated. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, a pacemaker needs to be removed because they have batteries right. that will explode mm -hmm. and damage the the retort. Right. So, um, and and that's basically just under the surface of the skin. Yeah. When you're talking about fillings and people's mouths mm -hmm. and gold crowns. Right. Oh, by the way, we can talk about gold crowns. Um, they. And, and people are like, why can't they take out the gold crown so I can get the value of the gold? Well, you know, funeral directors are not dentists. If while you're still alive, you want to go to your dentist and have your mercury fillings replaced with other fillings that are don't have mercury, you know, you can do that. Right. And, and it will cost you. <laughs> um, but. Funeral directors are not dentists, and they are not going to uh, mess around inside dead people's mouths. Uh, I'm looking at the information you were kind enough to send us, and it says you're going to be presenting the newly dead game at the Frozen Dead Guys Days Festival in Nederland, uh, Colorado. 
What yes. is the newly dead game? <laughs> so I, if you remember uh, TV from several decades ago, there was a game on TV called the newly wed game. Yeah, I remember that well. And um, the host, Bob, um, was it Bob Barker? No. Uh, well, anyway, the host would quiz newlywed couples yeah. on various aspects of their lives to see how well they knew each other. Mm -hmm. And the couple that knew each other the best and got the most right answers would win. Yeah. Well, in the newly dead game, we would have couples who are asked questions about how well they know each other on end of life issues, like where they want to be buried or cremated or what kind of celebration would they want to have or what's their mm. favorite item or who are the two closest people outside of family members they'd want called right away when uh, that person died. Okay. And whoever gets the most questions right gets the most points and they win the game. And uh, just last year, I introduced an individual's edition of the game because, you know, not everybody's in a couple. So this is a way to test how well prepared you are yourself in terms of, um, you know, have you made plans for final disposition? Um, do you have a will? Do you have advanced medical directives? And um, it's funny with the individual's edition, the, um, the last answer there are four possible answers and the last one is always i don't care i'll be dead and you get zero points for that answer okay you and i have to take our our third break please stand by exonation our guest of this hour is gail rubin www.agoodgoodbye.com and we'll both be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Niagara, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like, send me an email, exxon at TV.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. The X Chronicles newspaper, March edition 2020, will be available tomorrow at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. And as always, it's with our compliments. It doesn't cost you one red headed scent and it is red right around the world we'll be back don't go away And welcome back. Gail Rubin is our guest. We thought that would be an appropriate song for this segment. We're talking about goodbyes and uh, good old Dr. Lamento's Dead Puppies is one of the all-time hits here at the X-Zone. If you'd like to get more information about Gail, her website is www.agoodgoodbye.com. You know, Gail, I, I, I know they have Comic-Con. I know they have Alien-Con, but I didn't think they'd have Death-Con. And um, do people actually get together and talk about these things for example i'm i'm looking at a frozen dead guy days festival what's that about well that is a huge festival in uh the mountains west of boulder in the denver metro area mm -hmm. there is a real frozen dead guy at the center of it uh the it's kind of a convoluted story but he's norwegian 
He died in 1989. His name is Brito Morstel, and his grandson was a big believer in cryogenic ah, okay. reanimation. So when Grandpa died mm -hmm. in 1989 in Norway, he was shipped to California and put in a professional cryogenic deep freeze. Uh, but then about three or four years later, his grandson took him out of the professional deep freeze and into his own in a shed behind his house up in the mountains uh, in a box filled with dry ice. And, um, and he's been that way ever since. And oh, about 19 years ago, the Nederland Town Council uh -huh. uh, Chamber of Commerce decided to start a festival around this frozen dead guy. So they have lots of music and there's a parade of hearses and frozen turkey bowling and frozen salmon tossing and a coffin racing over a snowy obstacle course. And uh, it's just a really crazy festival. And it's actually won awards uh, mm. from USA Today as a top cultural festival. And uh, it's in the running again this year. Is, is marijuana legal in Colorado? It is. That explains it. <laughs> well, it wasn't always, but, you know, mm -hmm. it, it became legal a few years ago. Yeah, and I'm sure yeah, that sales. definitely added yeah. to the fun. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call that fun. <laughs> well, uh, it it is definitely strange, different. Yes, mm -hmm. I understand that you were a funeral crasher, and you crashed thirty funerals in thirty days. What? I've heard of wedding crashers, yeah, <laughs> but I've never heard of somebody who actually goes to funerals and crashes them. How? Why? Why? Well, I it was a project. My thirty funerals in thirty days. Uh huh was uh, designed when I when my book first came out and I wanted to uh, get more in-depth uh, frontline experiences. And when think about it, I mean, funerals are posted in the newspapers and mm -hmm. the obituaries. So I, you know, would read something interesting and go show up. And I, I would ask a family member if I could uh, you know, be there and witness it. And my idea was to write blog posts about these funerals. And, um, and it was a way to actually see what was happening out there on the front lines. And you know, it, to, to me, it sounds like a cheap publicity stunt and a rather tacky one at that. Well, most, um, most people thought it was okay. And, uh, ones were glad to actually have the coverage of this event i mean think about it you you do videos of weddings mm -hmm. but most people don't videotape a funeral when all these great things are going to be said about you why wouldn't you want to record something like that and um i actually learned a number of lessons that i'm putting together in a book called 30 lessons from 30 funerals in 30 days uh, about things like, well, you played that dead puppy song, mm -hmm. you know, you want to plan ahead for your pets as well as your human children. Uh, and, and there was one funeral I went to for a gentleman who was a bachelor and he had four beagles and he made sure before he died that uh, his beagles were given good homes. 
So you you want to take care of your pets. Uh, there was also a woman who needed a liver transplant, and she was actually my age when she died, when I was writing this blog post and went to her funeral. And it was an amazing celebration of her life. And she had planned it herself. And her her husband and her friends all, all were involved and she picked music out. So that's another lesson that you can be involved with guiding what would be a great way to celebrate your life. And it makes it so much better for the people who love you. Uh, and just the whole idea of having a funeral. I went to mm-hmm. a memorial luncheon in a bowling alley bar for a gentleman whose wife basically said, well, we're not going to have a funeral for him. But this man was involved with the community and his friends wanted to raise a toast in his honor. So funerals are for the living and they are for anybody who knows you from all different spheres of your life. So are you trying to raise the funeral to a different social status? Well, the funeral has always had social status in... No, I I said to raise it to a different social status. Well, yeah, I want everybody to honor their loved ones who die in whatever way is best for those particular circumstances. So yes, I want to raise people's awareness of funerals mm-hmm. and the value that they provide in healing our hearts after someone we love has died. Would you consider yourself as a grief counselor? No, I'm not a grief counselor, but I know a lot about the field and I know how to interview people who are grief counselors to help um, further knowledge about processing grief. Tell me about the, um, what is it, the Death Cafe. The Death Cafe is a movement that comes to us from the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. In 2011, a gentleman named John Underwood, he was inspired by the work of a Swiss sociologist named Bernard Cretaz, who would hold these discussions in cafes, and they were called Café Mortel, which means death cafe. So the idea behind a death cafe is to get together, have something to eat and drinks that's nourishing and comforting, and talk about what's ever on your hearts and minds about mortality issues. And what we uh, do is uh, it's conversations that are totally guided by the participants. There's no agendas. uh, There's no leading anybody to any kind of belief or uh, course of action. Uh, However, if people do ask me, you know, where to get the cheapest cremation in town, I will tell them. Um, But uh, it's, it's an opportunity to express your concerns, ask questions, and just take death out of the closet. And um, a lot of people are relieved to be able to do that. And in fact, we, all, we very often in many death cafes have a lot of laughter. So from the first death cafe, which was held in September of 2011 in mm-hmm. London, um, 
I was the first person west of the Mississippi in the United States to hold one in 2012. Here at in in January of 2020, more than 10,000 death cafes have been held in 69 countries around the world. So it's really taken off. Actually, the Irish were doing that many years before the British, because at an Irish wake, you celebrate the life. You don't mourn the death. In fact, the, do you know what the difference between an Irish wake and an Irish wedding is? One less uh, drunk. Body? No, one one less drunk. Dead? Yep, that's it. Um, when we look at the, the, the grief, the lead up to the ultimate morning that a person goes through, you know, when somebody is in a hospice or they're in a hospital, then they go home and the people at home can no longer take care of them. So they're put into a hospice. How can what you're doing help these people, both those who are getting ready for the ultimate mourning period, as well as that, though, the person that is getting ready to pass, how can the, the industry, the death industry actually do something positive in these cases? One of the things that funeral homes are doing is seeking to work with their local hospices to help families be more educated about all those choices that are waiting to be made well, after somebody no, dies. No, you see, I'm, I'm not talking about that because what this is, what that, what that sounds like is ambulance chasers. You know, all right, let's go through the newspaper, find out an accident, or, you know, let's listen to a police scanner, find an accident, and run over there. And, and you know, that's got a very icky sound to it. But what I meant was, how can the industry, without having to get into the dollar and cents aspect of what happens after the person passes, how much it's going to cost you for this, that, and the other thing, what can they do to get involved in a positive manner well um i had been holding before i die festivals in new mexico where i live and in other all right we're gonna have to hold that here because my producer just tells told me i've got to take my break so exonation we'll be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the exon from our broadcast center and studios in niagara ontario canada i'm rob mcconnell don't go away I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me when a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays, talking about the options and talking about sweet time. I asked him when it sank in that 
this might really be the real end. How's it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what'd you do? And he said, I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fumanji. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Gail Rubin is our guest this hour, Exonation www.agoodgoodbye.com. Um, what I was trying to get at, Gail, when I was talking about, you know, the people who, like in the song, uh, live like you are dying. I understand that they have to plan for when the event takes place, but how can the industry that ultimately makes the buck on the passing of the person, how can they do something positive before that happens without there having to be a dollar and cent value put on whatever they do? Well, I was starting to tell you about uh, this before I die festival Mm -hmm. concept where Um, I've actually worked with funeral homes and cemeteries to hold events at their locations where people can come and learn and we'll have death cafe conversations. Uh, We'll go behind the scenes so they can see what happens at a funeral home uh, and learn about choices that you can make. We actually even had a woo-woo panel uh, where we had a paranormal investigator and a uh, psychic uh, talking about what's Uh on the other side. Yeah. People love that. So um, it's an opportunity to bring together a host of different voices, uh, all related to death, um, but also teaching people about things that they didn't know. One woman told me that as a result of a day that we had at a funeral home and we had a Q&A time with the funeral director, uh, her ex-mother-in-law died like that weekend. And her ex-husband calls her and he doesn't know what to do. You know, mom's died in Texas, but she's got to be buried in South Carolina. What do I do? And she said, you call a funeral home in South Carolina and they will take care of everything. And that's exactly what happened. But if she didn't know that because she had asked, she she knew that because she had asked that question. And um, it's a lot of what people don't know that makes it so stressful and so scary. So um, working with cemeteries and funeral homes to hold these before I die events, Mm -hmm. there are also death over dinner discussions, which is another movement. Uh, to help people just break the silence about, uh, and it's not just the funeral industry, but it's also the medical industrial complex. Hospitals mm-hmm. make money off of keeping people alive when... Well, I, I personally, I think keeping a person alive is a lot, a lot nicer than working towards them dying. Well, keeping them alive on a ventilator 
Isn't, isn't that the person's right to life? Is it, isn't, Alzheimer's? isn't that the person's right to life? Um, live like you're dying and no, 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 like no, 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 no. Hold on here. Hold on here. You are pro death, right? Well, we're, we're all heading. No, that no, that's way. not what I asked. No, are you pro death when it comes to, you know, uh, like we were talking about somebody with Alzheimer's, if they're on a ventilator, would you rather see them dead than see them alive? You know, it, if if that's their choice, that oh. they want to be kept alive, but they need to write out their advanced medical directives to say, if my mind is gone, I don't want to be kept alive. Well, that's why in many hospitals here in Canada, there are special forms that have to be filled out when somebody is on their way out. It's called a DNR, do not resuscitate. Right, and... Yeah. Um, we need more people to, you know, actually state their wishes in that regard. Hey, listen, I'm the but first. I'm it, the first. Is it fair to a 91 year old person who has cardiac arrest but is resuscitated with broken ribs? If that is their wish, that is their wish. And um, because going they, gentle into that good night has also got its benefits. I don't disagree with you there. However, that has got to be the decision that is made by the person. Or, God forbid, if that person is unable to make that decision, then those who have been left in charge of making those decisions, it's up to them to make the decision that they feel appropriate. I don't think any industry or anyone outside the family unit at that point, has the right to interfere. Well, you know, that's why it's so important for all of us, while we are of sound mind, mm -hmm. to to state our wishes and to revisit those wishes on a regular basis. I'll because be, I'll be the first, know, our I'll, thoughts do change as we age. I'll be the first one to, to acknowledge the fact that in many cases, the person who is on the door to tomorrow is kept alive because of the family. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll agree with you there a hundred percent, but once again, if that person has not made that decision that at that time to pull the plug or DNR, that's the decision that they have made. But I'm sure you've talked to a number of people about, you know, what's beyond this physical lifetime. Yes, and I don't believe anybody has the answer. Like, I, I, I've got to tell you something. I was shocked when you said that you had a woo-woo um, panel and you had a psychic there and a paranormal investigator. Like, what the hell do they have to do with death and dying when there's no proof that any one of them have ever brought back that there is another side you know once again I, I i just don't understand it uh well there's there's probably a lot in this universe beyond our physical senses i agree we don't know about i i agree but i once again i think that there's many people within the paranormal community who are just out there to make a buck and i think that the when it comes to psychic phenomenon, if it's done by reputable researchers, I agree with that. But when you turn on the TV and you see all these yahoos going through allegedly haunted houses with the shaky camera green effects 
and you see the psychics who, who just prey on people at their mm. time of need. I, I, I'm sorry, I have no respect for them. Mm. Well, and we also had people who have had near-death experiences. Mm-hmm. and um, uh, now, now this is something different because you've actually had somebody have an experience that they cannot explain. But whatever it is, once again, is, is one of these unknown, unknown mysteries. Mm-hmm. I, too, have, have talked to doctors. I have talked to members of the first responders, as well as people who have had their near-death experiences themselves. I am telling you, that is very compelling when you get it firsthand. But when you're talking to a psychic who says, oh, wait a minute, I, I'm getting a message from the other side, or you're talking to a so-called paranormal researcher who, who gets their research credentials from watching YouTube videos, that they know what is happening or that they are able to use all this gadgetry that they use to, to track ghost hauntings and so on. They're two, that's, like, that's like two different classes, two different examples. I do believe there's something there when it comes to the near-death experience. I believe that there's something there. And I believe that in time, these questions will be answered. But I think when people go out of their way to monopolize on the people who are left behind or people who are still grieving or people who are looking for answers and they just want to know, is that going to be cash or credit? No, I'm sorry, I don't go for that. Well, we didn't have them doing that. I mean, the... No, I was the... just giving you my... I was just giving you my... How I look at it. I, I Please, I did not... I did not mean to infer that that was happening at your event. Okay. <laughs> no, I did not mean that. And if, I, if that's what it sounded like, I apologize. Listen, you and I have to say so long for tonight. Uh, and Exonation, if you would like more information about this rather interesting topic, to say the least, our website for our guest this hour is www.agoodgoodbye.com. And I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break hopefully talking about something more cheery, more positive, more uplifting than how we can make money on the dead. I don't know. Exonation, I don't go for it one bit. <laughs> 